Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, hello, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm, as always, so excited that you've decided to join us for this hour of all things garden talk. We're going to get inspired in the landscape as we do every week. We're going to continue our conversation from last week because there's a lot to talk about when it comes to growing herbs in the South. Now, generally, we can have an easy go because herbs do like it hot. Some of them, though, don't like it so humid. So we've got special care for those more Mediterranean-type plants like lavender and rosemary and tarragon. But regardless, our southern gardens can be filled with herbs. And why not? Because herbs are a great addition uh, to your kitchen procedures. When you're cooking in your kitchen, wouldn't it be great to be able to walk out to the garden, clip some fresh herbs, and bring them in to flavor your dishes with? Of course, you can dry them as well and preserve them and continue to use them all winter long, even though the plants may have stopped growing or may have gone dormant. And some are just annuals that uh, last for a few months and they're gone. You can also use herbs to make things smell better. Of course, we're familiar with potpourris, probably. I know my <laughs> my grandmother always had a few dishes of potpourri. I mean, that potpourri had probably been there. It was dusty. Probably been there for years, but <laughs> she could have freshened it up every now and then. But potpourris are great as well. And, of course, there are, there are some medicinal purposes, uses for herbal plants. I'm not a doctor, of course. And I'm not necessarily going to talk about the medicinal side. But many of the herbs that we can grow in our landscapes, you can purchase at the health food store, whether it's in a tablet form or dried form. But why purchase them when you can grow them yourself? So, of course, if you missed last week's program, uh, you can get started with our first part of Growing Herbs in the South online at NewSouthernGarden.com, and you can find it on your podcasting apps, on your smart devices. You can Put me in your ears if you wear earbuds while you're out in the garden landscaping and, and working and growing things. I don't mind bothering you all day long if you want to catch up on the episodes. We've got every episode we've ever had, every show we've ever had online at NewSouthernGarden.com, so be sure to check that out. But uh, we probably should just sort of summarize and then, of course, jump into the information because oh, I'm afraid I've turned it into a two-parter. And we may have to go into a third, <laughs> but regardless, uh, it'll be fun. So, of course, we talked last week about the history of herbs. They're, uh, from prehistoric times, herbs have been used both in food and medicine. So we know uh, these are some of the oldest plants as far as under cultivation go. Because our prehistoric ancestors used them and continue to grow them, and we still do today, they're some of the longest-lived 
well, I shouldn't say longest lived, but surviving on our palette of plant material in our modern landscape, some of the oldest plants that have been used. And we talked about the conditions they like as far as sun conditions, and we talked about some special conditions that certain herbs require. Not all herbs have to be grown in full sun, even though many of them do benefit from that. Uh, there are plenty that can do some semi-shade and some that can handle moist soil. And of course, there are plenty like um, yarrow, we talked about yarrow, and we talked about uh, lavender and thyme, uh, fennel, those can all handle dry soil. So no matter the conditions you have in your landscape, whether you've got some shady areas or sunny areas, wet soil areas and dry soil areas, herbs can definitely fit in. And the other thing from the ornamental value is many of these herbs have great ornamental characteristics. There's uh, like fennel, for instance, is, is this fine, feathery, textured foliage. And there's bronze fennel, which is nearly pushes a, a purple red almost. So you can have some great color foliage as well. And then, of course, the flowers. Uh, these herbs will produce flowers. Some of them are biennial, and they won't produce flowers till the second year. But to work herbs in amongst your ornamental plants is a wonderful thing. And, and we're probably not going to talk much about companion planting, but of course... Um, Herbs can be used when you're considering companion planting, trying to put things together that maybe helps fend off um, insects, uh, maybe helps encourage another one plant, helps another plant and encourage it to grow even better. Uh, it takes a little bit of research to really work with companion plantings. But of course, you can locate these plants outdoors. And today we're going to pick back up with locating these herbs indoors as well. As long as you have the right amounts of sun and moisture, you can grow herbs indoors. Now there's, of course, uh, throughout the decades and Hundreds of years, people have grown plants indoors through sunny windows, but in today's modern world, there are plenty of indoor growing kits. There are also uh, lights that you can purchase, grow lights. Now, you can use, uh, say, incandescent bulbs or fluorescent bulbs or a mixture of both, uh, but in order to maximize your plant growth, a grow light is going to have multiple sections of the light spectrum included because plants actually need uh, a bit of blue light and a bit of warm orange light if we put it in a color realm. Uh, so these grow lights have a combination of what, uh, wavelengths. Generally, it's like you're merging an incandescent bulb uh, with a fluorescent bulb uh, or LED of some kind. Uh, but they have been manufactured in such a way that you can maximize the spectrum of light that plants utilize from the sun, and you're sort of mimicking that indoors. So you got to make sure you have enough light or your plants will be spindly, and of course, if they don't get enough light, they may just not grow. Uh, but generally, we want at least six hours of that sunlight. So you could uh, turn your grow light on when you leave for work, uh, or go about your day, and then when you get back home, you can switch that light off, put it on a timer even, if you're growing these herbs indoors, so it comes on during the day, and then of course, just like if they were growing outside, they won't need extra light at night. In some cases, if you extend that period, say 8 or 10 hours of sunlight, uh, you may even have faster growth and, and quicker recovery if you're harvesting leaves and foliage from your herbs. But, but even if they get 4 hours of light, many plants can survive in that situation. Um, 
not every window is the same. If you're going to use natural light, this is a point we need to make. Not every window is the same. Don't just assume that because your plant is near a window uh, that it's going to have enough light. North-facing windows and east-facing windows really aren't going to give you enough punch uh, as far as light consumption. So when you're growing plants or herbs and anything indoors, usually um, a south-facing window will provide you just the right light. Now, like inside of our home, our living room and kitchen area where people generally are going to visit us or entertain uh, folks, those windows face east and face north. So I can't grow a lot of plants in the uh, sort of entertaining areas of the house, but in the bedroom, we have... uh, our bedroom and then our son's bedroom, those windows, unfortunately, face the south and the west, which would be a better condition. So you've sort of got to find where the sun is rising, where it's setting, where south is, where west is. Uh, West might be a little too harsh because it's going to get a lot of intense afternoon light. But in my opinion, because these plants can grow outside, West is probably not that bad of a problem because, again, they're in a climate-controlled building and they're only getting light through glass, not necessarily directly uh, like they would if they were planted outside. So south to uh, west facing is probably the best place to get adequate light. And you do, because you're growing indoors, uh, think of the, the, the side of the plant that faces the window is getting more light than the side of the plant that faces into the room in your house. So you do want to, throughout the day, you could do this once a day, uh, maybe a couple of times a week, you would want to rotate those plants. So turn their pots so that all angles, uh, 360 around your plant, is getting light, and and that light is being introduced to different areas of the plant. That way, you won't have these spindly and tall. If your plants are looking spindly and tall, and of course, they'll lean towards the window because that's where the sun is. (laughs) Plants respond very well to certain stimuli, and light is one of that. So If your plant's starting to lean, it's probably time to rotate that plant 180 degrees and get the other side nice and bulked up with some sunshine. Uh, These plants indoors, though, are generally not going to grow as fast as the ones that grow outdoors, so you may not have as many leaves to harvest. So if there's certain herbs that you do use for culinary purposes, if you're using herbs in the kitchen and you want them nearby in that sunny window in the kitchen or in the dining room where you can just clip it while you're cooking, be sure to either grow more of the things you use a lot of to make sure you have a constant supply, uh, or you can, of course, have some growing outside and some growing inside. So when the, the plants indoors don't have enough leaves to harvest, you can run outside into the garden and bring some in. Let's see, cooler weather. So there are some plants that need to be sort of moved indoors during cooler weather. So these plants would be wonderful to grow in containers, things like scented geraniums, uh, bay, if you're growing bay for bay leaves, they're a little sensitive to the cold temperatures. So depending on the variety of herb you're growing or species of herb you're growing, you want to make sure that you don't leave them outside. And of course, bringing them indoors on that south 
facing window just for the winter. It's a wonderful, wonderful situation. Or of course, uh, you can, if you have a sunroom, you can bring your plants in just like you would a house plant. So if there are some plants that really don't handle our cold weather too well, you want to make sure they stay, stay strong and healthy through winter then you probably do want to consider bringing those in. And of course, we're having some cool temperatures, so I should say cold temperatures. Um, Now, when it comes to growing herbs inside, we sort of treat them like houseplants in a way. We don't want to overwater them. Any plant that's grown indoors will need much less water than plants that are grown outside. And with houseplants, the number one killer of all houseplants is overwatering. It's a sad, shame, shameful situation, but all we have to do is just make sure that uh, if the soil feels moist about an inch down into the top of your planting media, uh, so an inch below the surface of the soil. If it's dry there, or if it still feels moist, don't water it. But if it is dry, be sure to give them a water. Now, what I would do is I would take these plants to the kitchen sink when they are on the dry side, same with houseplants, and I would drench them well, leave them there from 45 minutes to an hour, and they'll drain. Then you can put them back on the dish or back in the growing system if you've got an indoor growing system, and they won't be dripping all over the place on the counter or on the table. Uh, With that method in mind, you are watering your plant deeply, which is what I always strive for even in the landscape. We want to water them deeply, make sure that they're draining out of the bottom very well, and we don't need excess water sitting in a dish underneath the pot. Excess water that hangs out underneath the pot will just make the entire pot quite swampy and definitely oversaturated. So we've got to make sure that we give the roots some oxygen, they do need H2O, they do need water, but overwatering just increases the chance of disease and rotting of roots and eventually uh, may block the roots from the necessary oxygen, oxygen that they need. Other than growing them indoors, you can also grow these herbs in containers. I already sort of mentioned that, and of course you probably already know you can do that, but container-grown grown herbs, whether they're in urns or hanging baskets, strawberry pots, as long as the light and the moisture and the fertility requirements are met, they will grow great in a pot. You want to use probably a, a, a lightweight, loose soil that drains well, nothing too heavy. Don't go into the landscape and pull soil out of the ground. You don't need the garden soil. You probably do want a mix of some kind of soil conditioner and potting mixes and whatnot. Um, the only difference though with growing in a container with these herbs is that they won't have access to surrounding soil, like something planted in the ground. So watering uh, is going to be vital. In the summer, plants will need more water. But again, we don't want to overwater even our container-grown plants that are outdoors. So be sure if you're growing herbs in a container that they're not drying out, but most importantly, that they're not staying too wet either. All right, gang, more about growing herbs in the South when we get back from this break. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share 
whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. Well, gang, this morning on New Southern Garden, we are talking about growing herbs in the South. It's actually a continuation of our discussion last week, so there's a lot to talk about when it comes to growing herbs in the South. Uh, before the break, we were talking about growing herbs in containers and, of course, growing them indoors. Uh, in s- the last thing I want to mention about growing herbs in containers is that some herbs, particularly like French tarragon, cilantro, cumin, chamomile some of these plants are particularly susceptible to our southern uh, humidity in spring and summer and they may actually grow best under a more carefully controlled condition like a container if uh, they seem to be performing poorly uh, or sort of turning yellow maybe looking a little weak you can easily move containers around the landscape Give them a little break of uh, sun in the afternoon by putting them on a patio or something. So where some herbs can definitely thrive, just planted in the landscape uh, and have no concerns, some herbs would probably benefit from being grown in a container. Uh, Containers, like I said, can stand on the drier side of things. So we don't want things to dry out completely, but some plants that don't love extra moisture, extra humidity, uh, we, we can sort of Keep them in a container on the drier side, and they may grow even better than if they were planted directly into the to the earth. Uh, some things we need to talk about with herbs are pests and diseases. Now, generally speaking, very generally speaking, most herbs are resistant to garden pests and diseases because they have some of these real pungent flavors and fragrances. There are natural occurring chemistries that many insects may not like. However, of course, good cultivation practices and preparing the soil, uh, making sure they're being watered adequately, not, not too little water and not too much water, good drainage, these things will definitely help keep most herbs happy and trouble-free. But some herbs are actually host plants. They're host plants for certain uh, insects. For instance, caterpillars may love certain caterpillars, particularly swallowtail caterpillars, will definitely harvest and eat, feast on, dill, fennel, parsley. Those kinds of plants are a food source for swallowtail butterflies. So with certain plants, you may grow more just because it's not a bad idea to let nature use some of your plant material. Be sure before you start spraying plants with organics or even chemical controls that you know what pest you have. Because even though technically a swallowtail caterpillar eating all your dill would be a pest, you do know that the life cycle of that little caterpillar, it'll develop into an adult butterfly. So you've got to make these uh, decisions on your own, what pest to control, what pest to l- let munch and chow down somewhat. Uh, but otherwise, when you are trying to treat your herbs with some kind of product, 
to eradicate some kind of issue like insects, you may want to use an organic, uh, particularly because the organics uh, are naturally occurring, and you know that these herbs are most likely going to be consumed. Of course, you want to wash anything that comes out of the landscape very well. And uh, with that in mind, you can easily wash off some things. If you're following the label of whatever product you're using, be sure to look for a day the day, number of days required before you can harvest material from that plant after you have sprayed them. Some small little insects, aphids and white flies, we see them on lavender, we see them on rosemary, um, even little sap suckers, leaf hoppers and leaf miners can be a problem as well. Uh, when it comes to disease, you may find some rust on mint, which is usually not a problem. Just cut it out and let the plant start over. Lemon balm, it's in the mint family, so sometimes rust will do it. And it's not going to be rust in particular is not going to be destructive of the entire plant uh, and most of these mints that have a rust problem they're so persistent they're easy to propagate and they use underground stems and and uh, runners if you will uh, that an infected plant can just be cut to the ground and allowed to start over again now mildew uh, like powdery mildew can be a problem for some things uh, monarda or bee balm wonderful native plant but they do suffer from uh, mildew as well as yarrow and to some degree lemon balm and again thinning the plant allowing a little more airflow if you've got a dense planting of these things, clipping off the infected parts and uh, even clipping adjacent parts uh, will increase that air circulation. And that's usually enough to be effective. It's not necessarily let me rush to the box store, rush to the garden center and buy some kind of spray or product. Many times just trimming these things back will do the job. Definitely with Menarda, I've got experience with that. We grow it at the nursery. We have some in some planting beds. Wonderful native plant, like I said, beautiful flowers, great pollinator plant, but they do suffer from powdery mildew. And all we have to do is trim things back, shape it up, allow some better airflow. And usually uh, during the summer, at least when it cools down, it tends to show back up. But during the summer, that's enough to dry things out so the powdery mildew uh, won't just go crazy. Now, of course, there are different ways to harvest and preserve your herbs. You can essentially any plant, any herb plant that is grown for foliage can be harvested at any time as long as there's foliage there. Um, if you're looking to do essential oils, of course, those are concentrated uh, extractions from stems and leaves uh, and flowers even. And if you are going to try to do essential oils, most of those come from concentrated material just prior to the blooming. Once the blooming uh, starts up, the oil level decreases. Now that's a whole process on its own. We definitely don't have time to get in details of extracting essential oils, but of course you can purchase essential oils uh, in, in stores and health food stores and whatnot. And uh, it just shows you the diversity of usage that herbs can have. Now, of course, seed heads are another thing to harvest. Uh, some plants are grown just for their seeds, fennel and dill. Uh, if you're growing cilantro and you harvest the seed head, uh, then you've essentially harvested what they call coriander. So cilantro would be the leaf. Of course, cilantro is the plant. But when you use it in the kitchen, coriander are the dried seed pods of the cilantro plant. And you do want to collect those soon after the seeds have reached maturity. 
allow them to dry out because if you let them go too long, they may crack open and you'll lose the seed capsules or rather you'll lose the seed once the seed capsule has, has opened. Um, if you are going to harvest herbs, generally doing so in the morning, uh, late morning, uh, you want to rinse them quickly and you want to sort of air dry them. Now, the two main methods of preserving your herbs, of course, are either drying them or freezing them. The ideal conditions for drying herbs is finding a warm, dark, uh, dry, and well-ventilated place. Something like an attic would work out. Uh, maybe a spare bedroom with the, with the shades or the blinds closed. And maybe a fan, if you've got a ceiling fan or a box fan. Adding a fan in there, getting that good air circulation, uh, really will meet all the requirements that you need. Now, what you can do to... Um, hang them and dry them is really the simplest method is to tie the herb stems together in little bunches and then hang the bunches upside down from either a rod or a rafter or a string or a heavy heavy wire uh, if you've got a clothesline and you don't use it outside anymore it's a perfect uh, structure to hang your herb bundles from and of course the bunches don't need to touch each other there needs to be air in between each bunch so that the air can circulate freely around them and, and speeding up the drying process. Um, if you're going to dry herbs uh, for a, a seed collection, you can do so in large paper bags with holes that are cut into the side for air circulation. Use paper bags when you're drying herb seeds. You don't want to use plastic bags because, of course, plastic will just trap moisture and most likely the material will rot rather than dry out. Now, when you're freezing herbs, you want to give them a quick rinse, shake off excess moisture, pat the leaves dry, then remove leaves from stems, put them in a labeled freezer bag so you know what they are, because once they freeze, it may not be obvious, and you can store them in the freezer. Another thing to try uh, might be to uh, give, I don't think we have time for this. Well, when we get back, I'll have to tell you the second way to freeze herbs. So hang on tight, gang, and we'll talk more about preserving your southern grown herbs. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, welcome back to the second half of today's program here in the New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and <laughs> I was almost going to uh, educate through the break. So before the break, we were talking about preserving the herbs that you grow in your landscape. And it can be really simple. We talked about drying and methods to do that. And of course, you can also freeze herbs. And this would work well, in my opinion, for soups and whatnot, because uh, once a frozen plant part, like a leaf, is thawed, it's very limp, right? But you can still mix it in with things like that you're going to bake. You can freeze the herbs that you use in your dressing. 
course, we're coming close and close closer to Thanksgiving. So, you know, thinking about that turkey and dressing, my grandma used to make chicken and dressing. We weren't too big on the turkey. <laughs> but you can freeze these herbs and use them at a later date. So we already talked about probably the most simplest method, but there's another way you can freeze herbs. And it's basically where you would, of course, give your herbs a quick rinse, shake off excess moisture if you need to, but really you're gonna drop the leaves of your herbs into ice trays and then fill the ice tray with water. Then put the ice tray in the freezer and now you got these wonderful cubes of frozen herbs you could, of course, pop them out of the ice tray when they've frozen, put them in a, a freezer bag so you can use the tray for even more herbs. But now you've got these cubes that you can throw into a pot of soup. You could let it thaw, of course, and mix it in with some kind of uh, dish that you're going to bake. But the quality of frozen herbs, we should mention this, quality of frozen herbs usually begin to deteriorate, deteriorate after three to six months. So you probably want to have some dried herbs and also have some frozen herbs that are sort of fresher, but they don't taste as well as long. Now, one key to keep in mind when you're freezing herbs in an ice tray is strong flavored herbs like chives and rosemary. They may actually affect other foods in the freezer. So if you do freeze them, freeze them in freezer jars uh, put them in a tight Ziploc bag or something so that the, the flavor of the herb, the flavor of the chive, of the rosemary stays in the bag and not so much infiltrates your other goodies in the freezer. So that's a great, those are great ways to uh, preserve uh, herbs. Of course, you want to be able to do that because you've been growing them all summer and you want to continue to have those, those fresh tasting flavors in your cooking. Uh, all winter long. So definitely look into preserving your crops. Now, let's talk about herbs in the landscape. We did talk briefly as we were talking about growing herbs outside about how these plants are very attractive. They make great additions to a perennial border, foundation plantings, pot of, pots of herbs can really just spruce up the appearance of a porch or patio. So definitely, uh, these herbs provide us with traditional materials uh, that we can use in the landscape. Both, of course, they're going to be functional because we can use the plant, but it's also very ornamental. We talked about blooms earlier, and herbs offer bloom, color variation, texture variation, so they're an easy fit to work into a beautiful planting display. For instance, uh, in summer, early summer, the yarrows. The yarrows lift these dense flower heads, while in fall, the pineapple sage, we've got pineapple sage at the nursery, and uh, maybe after this weekend, it won't be blooming, but it's been blooming uh, all week and even before, and of course, they've got these bright red inflorescence. So whether it's lavender or artemisia or lamb's ear, they offer beautiful mounds of foliage with gray-green 
color. So there's many different ways that you can use plants in the landscape, these herbal plants in the landscape. You can uh, plant them in a formal area. I know one of the uh, greatest looking displays of herbs that I've seen is where we have a circular bed and it's called the herb garden and you sort of divide it out like a pie and each little section of that pie is filled with certain herbs. But you've got a great selection of herbs and you could cut it eight ways. Just think about cutting a, a circle like a pizza, cut it into eight slices and have eight different varieties of herbs growing. Um, you can also create formal beds if you would like, very like a uh, sort of herbal courtyard where you've got a nice pathway in the middle and maybe block plantings along it on either side and corners and you can have a very formal look but then you can incorporate these plants with many of your other blooming perennials like we mentioned they make great pollinator plants for the most part and some of them like the dill and the fennel and the cilantro these are plants that actually can be used as host plants for pollinator gardens so be sure to keep that in mind and size of plants sizes of plants we've got to think about that there are tall and large herbs like anise and hyssop and yarrow lemon verbena fennel mountain mint i would put the um the uh uh, I'm losing my thought. I'm losing my thought. It's called, what am I doing? I don't know. Not lavender. Rosemary. Rosemary tends to be a larger plant as well. Then, of course, uh, the medium size, kind of upright and mounding. You'll have basil. You'll have the lavenders. They're, they're not as large as rosemary usually. Sages, uh, artemisia. And then small, tiny plants that creep and crawl like thyme and Santalina, and the Stachys, uh, like the, the lamb's ear and whatnot. These are all plants that have different sizes, so you can actually stage them out from height, tallest in the back, middle, middle-sized plants in the center, and then on the front you can have the low creeping things like thyme, and you can have a beautiful herbal garden if you think about the size of plants as well. Now it's time for the rest of the show to talk about individual plants. I do want to talk about a few selected herbs. Of course, this is not, uh, this is just a short list, definitely not an extensive list of what you can use. There are plenty more herbs out there, but these are wonderful for the South and of course for certain culinary reasons or certain um, decorative and ornamental reasons. Let's start with uh, things that are scented and decorative. Artemisia. I've already mentioned Artemisia several times between today and last week, and Artemisia is commonly called wormwood, and they are prized for their gray-green and silver foliage. Sometimes it's ferny, and sometimes the leaves are just slightly cut, and it's a great textural thing. Now, of all the numerous species, the southern worm, wormwood or and regular wormwood um, are most popular in our southern gardens. Of course, artemisias, they like full sun, they tolerate some light shade, and uh, some soil that is clay okay so you can improve a clay-based soil and artemisia will just go wild now they are perennials and we sell them at lanier nursery and gardens in flowery branch georgia where you can find me throughout the week we sell artemisia as an ornamental but they do grow kind of woody and get sort of leggy so to maintain this beautiful gray green foliage and just have a mass of it they should be trimmed back in spring and maybe divided every two to three years so artemisia is one of those great plants that you can 
can buy one of or maybe a handful of and increase your supply and stock. Uh, that gray-green foliage looks great with almost any color. Purples and yellows always shine against that gray-green and orange too, really. Now, because these plants are strong-scented, they are said to be useful for repelling certain insects like moths and fleas. So if you've got cats around your place, you may want to keep some Artemisia handy. And they are very decorative, like I've already said, in the garden to contrast uh, amongst other plants that have different colors of greens um, and um, bright jewel-like blossoms. Now, I like to grow comfrey in my landscape because comfrey is... Um, a wonderful plant, like I mentioned last week, the comfrey can be used to make a compost tea that is quite nutritious. It smells terrible when you've processed the leaves in a bucket of water. You let it ferment for about a week or so. It's going to smell bad. But it's anything that smells bad usually is wonderful for our plants, <laughs> just like manure. But uh, comfrey was once used as a wound dressing, and in today's landscape or the modern herb garden, it's just a striking, this big, it makes these big sways, this expansive foliage uh, with these large leaves, and they have these pink flowers that are sent up on these tall stalks in early summer. It is a perennial, and so those flowers, you can expect them every early spring. Uh, well, I shouldn't say early, sometime during spring, but you can expect those flowers all the time. Now, there is a trouble with them, though. Slugs do like them, so be on the lookout. If you're growing comfrey, be on the lookout for slug problems. And if you mulch well underneath comfrey, that will help keep the leaves off the ground, and it will create a less desirable plant for those slugs. That one can be propagated as well. You can divide it, uh, or you can take cuttings of the roots and barely cover those roots up. The uh, cutting of the, when you take a cutting of a root, you barely bury it with soil, and soon enough, you'll probably have some buds that form and produce more foliage. Now, hyssop is a wonderful plant. I like hyssop. There's several different types of hyssop. I tend to like the hyssops that. Um, are from Mexico because they like it hot, they like it dry. Uh, of course, we're a little humid, but the hyssop always pushes through. Wonderful and attractive perennial border plants. Got small dark green leaves, and the hyssop flower can be different shades of pinks, whites, blues uh, in the spring. Now, the Agastache hyssop is the one from Mexico. Uh, they tend to have some hot colors like red and orange flowers. They smell great. They're very minty-like when you crush their leaves. And, of course, they usually don't have any insect problems. Now, lavender, I'm just going to briefly mention it. Of course, we talked about lavender two weeks ago, so we got a whole show there at NewSouthernGarden.com for you to listen to. But lavender is uh, not so easy in the south, but be selective, and you'll have an evergreen, gray-green foliage with, of course, those thin, strap-like leaves. Great for texture value. And, of course, you get lavender blooms. And lavender mainly blooms in the purples, but they also bloom in the whites, pushing towards the blues, and even in the pinks. Uh, Monarda. So we've talked a bit about Monarda, but I do want to remind you that Monarda is in the mint family, so it creeps and crawls. Some people call it bergamot. It is native to North America, so if you're looking for native herbs to use uh, in your pollinator garden or anywhere around your landscape, I do like Monarda, can suffer, of course, from that powdery mildew issue. But if you uh, prune back and thin the plant back, you can 
increase the air circulation and have a great looking plant. So it's perennial. It does need to be divided every, say, three years. If it's never divided, it will probably just slowly die out and creep into areas you may not want it. Uh, Definitely uh, trim it back in late summer, and that will improve its appearance. We always deadhead our Menarda at the nursery, and we still get uh, usually a second flush of flowers but it's a wonderful plant for hummingbirds they have very long uh, fluted trumpet-like flowers tubular flowers that then the hummingbird can stick its little beak in and receive its treat the nectar now I'm not going to talk much about mint but I do want to talk about a mint that is sort of near and dear to my heart in particular because it's a native mint it's called mountain mint so when we get back from this break, we're going to talk more about specific perennial, uh, perennials, specific herbs that you can use in your landscape to either pull out of the landscape, bring into the kitchen, or just enjoy them for their ornamental value and their fragrance. When we get back, more on growing herbs in the South. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, we've got one last segment for today's program here on New Southern Garden. We're going to be talking about herbs. We've been talking about herbs for a couple of weeks because there is a lot to learn when it comes to herbs. But uh, before the break, we were talking about specific plants that, uh, well, I've sort of sifted through them and kind of picked some of the easiest, maybe the most popular. Of course, there are plenty more on the list of herbs that can be grown in the South. So be sure that if you're trying to grow more and unusual and different tastes and flavors uh, that you look into growing herbs in the South, you can find a long list. And look, even though somebody says that a certain plant won't grow well in the South, the true gardener will go ahead and try it. (laughs) That's what we do. You tell me I can't grow it and I'm going to give it a try. And of course, that was uh, Eden Rose on the, the intro music there saying, give it a go. Give growing herbs in the South a try. So we were talking about Monarda, which is a native plant, uh, does come with a little bit of uh, disease concern. Uh, and of course, they got a great lemon scent. But I was alluding to another native plant that is found in the Appalachian Mountains. It's called mountain mint, the pycnanthemums. The pycnanthemums are, in my opinion, a wonderful plant and one of the best I may go so far to say probably the best pollinator plant. 
We grow it at Lanier Nursery and Gardens. We've got beds of it now. We've just planted a few things out in the bed, but it does like to take over. If you've got a barren hillside that's uh, low fertility and, of course, maybe clay soil compacted, well, these plants could just cover that over. You uh, pick off the leaves, and they are super minty in flavor and fragrance. And in the summer, kind of late summer, they will bloom with these tight flower heads with little tubular flowers all the way around, sometimes a white, purplish, maybe a tinge of pink. Uh, they're definitely white from a distance, but you will see honeybees, butterflies, solitary bees, some flies that I have never seen before, uh, all kinds of pollinators coming around and touching on this mountain mint. It's got gray-green leaves, so it's really pretty. They sort of have an ashy color to it, and then those white blooms from a distance, it's just outstanding. Now, it is crazy. It gets wild. kind of goes leggy, kind of gets tall, uh, but we chop it in half about June, and then it doubles its branch count so it's thicker and they're stronger shorter stems and they will just bloom uh, for summer all the way to fall pretty much so that's mountain mint be sure to check out the picnathemum mountain mints now rue is a plant that is easy to grow i didn't know much about it we had some people calling uh, the nursery asking for rue and i finally started growing some from seed and those folks never called back, and I didn't get their number. So we were growing rue with really no market to sell it to. Uh, there's certain things about it that on the medicinal side, uh, making teas and whatnot, uh, I'm not going to go into that. I'm sort of talking about herbs that look great in the landscape. They've got these tiny little round leaves that are just collected up and down the stem like a feather would be. So little leaves off to the left and right of a stem. And it's also known as the herb of grace because it symbolized repentance. And today it's just a beautiful ornamental addition to any herb garden. It's got those blue-green leaves and yellow flowers in late summer uh, that... This is another thing to think about. Certain herbs may cause dermatitis, just inflammation of the skin. One of our workers, it never caused me any problems, but one of our workers touched it at the right time of day and the right humidity levels, and he had a small rash that broke out. So you got to be careful with some of these. It wasn't anything detrimental. It went away after a few hours. By the next day, uh, next day he was all right. But it does kind of grow woody, so you can prune it at least once a summer, and that will keep it stocky and, and tight. The other great thing about rue is it's evergreen. So it's a wonderful perennial uh, that you perennial herb that is going to stay evergreen okay let's see yarrow let's talk about yarrow because i do like yarrow it's a wonderful plant uh great for the ornamental border of course we've got fine feathery like foliage that is very low to the ground uh depending on the variety of yarrow you're growing uh with a flower spike it may go from 18 inches some of the modern varieties are kind of on the short end 24 inches and some yara i've seen up towards the three foot mark so they're fairly low uh, but when they send up these dense flower heads on top of those fern-like leaves they are just a uh, jewel 
in the landscape. They are definitely going to stand out. And people will probably ask you, what is that beautiful plant growing right there? It grows in almost any condition, uh, but best in full sun. That is for sure. You'll have better bloom set, better bloom count, and uh, just a richer, thicker, fuller plant if it's got sun. You can grow it from seed, but you can also purchase plants uh, from a plant nursery. And you can also propagate this one by division and root division. They generally will root from a root, or they will send up a stem from a root uh, pretty readily. Now, they may need to be divided periodically. Many perennials do, and yarrow does fall into that group. So if you're not dividing it every third year, you may have a lackluster plant and one that is uh, sort of on the fritz, okay? Now, we do want to, with yarrow, to remove any spent flowers, so we will deadhead them throughout the summer, to promote reblooming, and they are long blooming plant as long as you deadhead them. The flower color that yarrow comes from or provides is very uh, diverse. There are plenty of reds and yellows and pinks and whites, and we've even had some varieties at the nursery that are almost a real purple. And so you can cut these flower spikes off and bring them uh, into the house just to enjoy them, or you can cut their long stalks and dry them in bundles for winter arrangements. So yarrow, even though uh, I think I mentioned last week that it has a good bit of history in, in Greek and in Rome, or Greece and Rome, ancient Greece and Rome, where the name Achillea actually comes from that Achilles tendon underneath the heel because they would use the leaves of yarrow as a potpourri, essentially, by spreading it on the ground uh, in their homes. And as people crushed them with their feet and underneath their heel, the Achillea would send a great fragrance into the air. Uh, I do want, we've got some time here. So I want to talk about um, Santalina. Santalina is a great perennial border plant. Uh, it grows maybe 12 to 24 inches high. Uh, many people have used it in knot gardens, you know, sort of creating these uh, architectural designs with plant material on the ground. They do have sort of gray and green as far as foliage. There's gray cultivars and green cultivars, uh, but they produce this very strong and spicy scent uh, when those narrow leaves are crushed. They have very fine, thin leaves that shoot up into the air. And then, of course, they will also bloom with usually a yellow, uh, a yellow blossom. Some may have sort of... Uh, lavenders and whites but really we're looking at a nice yellow in today's modern plantings uh, that herb though will succumb to heat and overwatering, so we do want to plant it in a well-drained soil or maybe use it in a pot uh, and maybe give it a break maybe give it a break in the afternoon from some sun so these are really just some herbs that uh, catch my mind when i think about growing herbs uh, for the landscape okay we didn't talk about cilantro we didn't talk about dill we didn't talk about parsley of course many of those you'll find in packages in spring and you can start them uh, in your own landscape but I hope that this two-week discussion on growing herbs in the south is going to be helpful to you and of course Eden Rose would say give growing herbs a go for New Southern Garden and WRWH 93.9 FM I'm Nathan Wilson and I hope you stay well and grow well we'll see you next week gang Love. 
Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.